This is The Granite Beat, a podcast where we highlight New Hampshire journalists, ask them about recent stories they've published, and about what it's like to cover their corner of this small and interesting state. I'm Julie Hershan Hart, and I'm here with Adam Jabshow. Hello. Anne Hermes, who worked for the Christian Science Monitor for 12 years and is now an independent photographer, produces images that look like postcards from a rapidly changing world. She has provided images from the Arab Spring, the emergence of so-called dining sheds in New York City, and one of the few remaining drive-in theaters. Lately, she's been working on something of a meta-project, chronicling the remaining local newsrooms in the U.S. Thanks for joining us today, Anne. Thanks for having me, and I like your description of this as a meta-project. And could you tell us when you first became aware of local journalism? I have been aware of local journalism for a very long time. Probably when I was an undergrad many, many moons ago, and I started working for my college newspaper. And then I ended up going to the University of Missouri, where the term photojournalism was actually coined. And I started to see how local journalism and photojournalists specifically at these local papers had a very big impact documenting their communities. And one of the things that I think is particularly special about my alma mater at the University of Missouri is that they have something called the Missouri Photo Workshop, where all of these really influential photo editors from Time Magazine and National Geographic descend on small towns in Missouri. It's always a small town. And they have these amazing photographers work on documentary stories for a week in that small town. So all the stories are small, but very impactful. And so I have been aware of the impact of local journalism and especially hyper-local visual journalism for over 15 years now. So I guess I'm curious about this One, the decision to become a journalist, and then the decision to become a photojournalist. Can you talk to me about how you made those decisions? I've always been a creative person, and I realized that I didn't have the patience to learn to become a proficient oil painter. And so (laughs) I needed something that was creative, that allowed me to explore the world, and I think you'll find this commonality with a lot of photojournalists, especially that we tend to be introverts, but we're incredibly curious and we we love engaging with people and learning new things. And we also love being creative. So this was the perfect marriage of those two things. And when I was learning photography, I felt that Photojournalism was one of the best ways that I could give back through the creative process because I did consider art photography or commercial photography, but I loved how photojournalism was a way that I felt like I could connect with communities and give back to them. How did you find a foothold in the career? It was a little bit easier over 15 years ago, and it's become incredibly 
more increasingly more difficult. But going to the University of Missouri was very helpful in connecting with newspapers. And so I did a series of internships that led to staff jobs. But to be completely honest, nowadays, it's incredibly difficult to be a staffer, a staff photojournalist at a newspaper, either local or national, and especially not international. So what I have done for the past, for the majority of my career is frankly now a unicorn job and freelancers are really, freelance photojournalists are really the ones who are providing and producing the majority of the news images that you see nowadays. We referenced in the intro that you worked for the Christian Science Monitor for many years. You've done lots of work internationally. How do you describe your career up to this point? I've been incredibly lucky. I've traveled the world. I've also photographed in small communities. I think that it was incredibly important for me to understand how to photograph the local pig farmer in an engaging way before I went on to photograph the Arab Spring, because I think your grandma could probably take a good photo in you know, certain areas of, of India or in certain locations or certain far-flung areas. But to be able to do a compelling story on a local community that may not seem as exotic is a valuable skill. And so I was grateful to have a grounding in local journalism before I started my international work, because I think that it helped me see the stories in the international communities that were important to those particular communities, meaning I wasn't always taking the splashiest images in far-flung places, but I was telling stories that I think anyone anywhere could connect to. And it wasn't just sort of a like, wow, look at this splashy, incredible image from this place that I have never seen, but more of look at this woman in her kitchen in rural Egypt. I can connect with that. So I feel like my grounding in local journalism actually really empowered my international work. It seems that you're describing something of a value distinction between what you said was the splashy image versus a different image that might be quieter but more relatable. Could you tell me how you think about that value distinction? I think in journalism, there is still a push for that old saying of if it bleeds, it leads. You know, if it's sexy, if it's dramatic, if it seems foreign and exotic, therefore it's going to catch people's attention. And we're all about clicks and eyeballs these days. But that's not the reason why I got into journalism in the first place. I wanted to learn what I could about things that I didn't know about and people that I wouldn't normally interact with. And so the value for me is to be able to make sure that readers and viewers can feel part of the connection that I have made to people in those communities, whether or not they are in India or Egypt or China, or if they are in the county right next to them. I want to be able to convey through my photography a sense of understanding and commonality whenever I can find and portray that. As we've been talking about, you've provided coverage of 
many intriguing stories, both domestic and abroad. Are there any that stick out for you that you'd like to highlight? My international work, Egypt, was definitely pretty compelling because I covered the Arab Spring in Tahrir Square as one of the, I think it was only the second international assignment I had ever had. And so it was a very formative time in my career. But it also was the first time that I feel like I witnessed history happening right in front of my camera. And it was incredibly dramatic and very intense and everything that I we just described being flashy. But to be completely honest, I ended up going back to Egypt a few times afterwards to kind of show and document the outcomes of the revolution, both good and bad. And those were the instances that I was most proud of to be able to see the impact of this historical event and try to show that to American audiences who might have moved on once the hubbub in Cairo had started to calm down. So that that coverage was really important to me and also helped shape the approach that I was just describing earlier of the quieter moments are actually more informative and compelling if you seek them out and try to relay them to a Western audience. Well, speaking of the quieter moments, how did the idea come about for your current project where you're chronicling local newsrooms here in the U.S.? I obviously love newspapers and have committed my career to them. And I grew up with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and they were running a lot of wires stories on the front page. And I went to go visit their newsroom for the first time. And I was just, I've always been blown away by the incredible work that they've done. And so when I entered into the newsroom and saw that there were outlines of where desks had been in the carpet and that the newsroom was so sparse and just sort of a visual representation of why there were so many wire stories and not as much local news in the actual paper, I felt really compelled to capture and document that so that people would understand what was happening to their local newspapers and just try to to rally some support and understanding from these communities. Because I think that there's a perception of journalists nowadays of being a little elitist and out of touch with rural communities, but I have found that to be completely the opposite on a local level. The people who work at local newspapers are incredibly committed. They are embedded in their communities. They have to follow what I would frankly call the grocery store test, which is if you publish a story that is going to you know, piss a lot of people off, then you're going to have to go to the grocery store the next day and face all of the community that you just wrote about. So I think local journalists are incredibly thoughtful, bipartisan, careful, and dedicated. And I wanted to find a way to showcase that to audiences, especially during the sort of 
fake news era that we're in currently. Could you give us a sense of how many newsrooms you've visited so far, where they have been distributed in the country, and how many you hope to get to? I've visited a little over 20 so far. They've ranged from Alaska to Florida. I hope to get up into the hundreds. I started in 2019, and the pandemic obviously put a pause on the project. But now that I can see some more cutbacks and layoffs by major publishers sort of around the bend, I'm ramping up the project on a much more intensive scale. So I hope to get, frankly, into the hundreds. And lately, I've been focused on the New England area, but I would like to move to the south, especially because I think there are even fewer papers in that region in the United States. And I would really like to document some of the local papers there. Have any of the newsrooms that you've visited so far changed dramatically, even in the time since you visited them? Yes. Yes. I photographed a newspaper in Florida that was under ownership by one of these larger publications. And when I was sitting in the newsroom photographing the reporters and just chatting with them, they were talking about a sense of foreboding that layoffs were coming. And it just so happens the very next month, there was a whole series of layoffs. So even in the time that I captured that newspaper, it has changed dramatically. And I think that local journalism is just in a intense state of transition right now, which is very interesting from both a photographic and research perspective. Not only are the the physical spaces dying away, so a lot of these local newspapers used to own buildings in, you know, the centers of small towns and those physical assets are getting sold off, so the buildings themselves are disappearing. And I'd like to capture the older buildings wherever I can. There's also a transition period where local news still relies heavily on print. And if you ask people on the national level, print is dead. And so I find it very interesting that that on the local level, print is very much not dead. And I'm very interested in how that transition is going to continue, especially on the local level, as, as opposed to the national level. You spoke a little bit about some commonalities that you've seen uh, among the staff of these newsrooms. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about any differences that you've seen. And I'm specifically asking, have you visited any newsrooms that seem to be working from a business standpoint? And if so, are you able to say what works? It seems like nowadays there isn't one model of funding that works. I will say in my personal experience so far, being independently owned seems to be a big plus. I have also found that there are some new nonprofit models that are very successful and might even be relatively new journalism startups, but they also, but they cover news in exactly the same way that the the traditional local newspaper model would cover them. They they cover the communities in exactly the same ways. 
they aren't very compelling from a photographic standpoint because they often are a team of people who work from home but meet together in, in like a WeWork situation to have their sort of page one meetings. And as you can imagine, that's a little bit less interesting from a photographic perspective. But from a future of local journalism perspective, I find that incredibly compelling and hopeful. So those are the two models that I've seen that seem to be stable and successful is sort of the independently owned model and also the the sort of nonprofit model as well. If we think back to that community in Florida that had its staff hit by layoffs, I wonder if you could describe what what's lost for the community. What is what's lost when their news when their local news source is reduced? Well, I mean, that particular community was going through the perfect example of why this is important uh, because I photographed that newspaper right as the pandemic was ramping up. And I think most local newspapers experienced a surge of need and desire for COVID coverage in their local communities. And so this newspaper experienced a series, a wave of layoffs, just as the community was needing information on a local level about the pandemic and how it's affecting their particular community. So that's a pretty direct example, in my view, of what is lost and who suffers. I'd like to ask you about how photojournalism in particular pays, plays into this sort of tension. Do you see photojournalists as being ahead of other colleagues on this sort of line to the chopping block? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> um, unfortunately. In any newsroom you go into, the ratio of photojournalists to reporters and editors is very skewed. There's probably one photojournalist for every six to ten reporters in most newsrooms. And one other unfortunate commonality in all of the newsrooms that I've visited thus far is that they usually don't have photo staff. When there are layoffs and cuts, photo and any kind of visual journalist, whether it be multimedia or even you know people who are the social media folks in the newsroom, they're sort of the first to go. And I understand the the culture is such that it's sort of word first, and I get that. I've been, you know, working under those that culture for my entire career. I think the only place where you find that flipped is at National Geographic, where the photographers are the ones who pitch the stories and the reporters follow along on the story. But I I do fear for local news when when print is eventually phased out and every local newspaper is focusing on a, a digital first presentation of their reporting, I think there's a lot of studies that have shown that visuals lead the way and are really the way that people consume news is in really a, a visual format. And so when these local newspapers don't have any visual journalists on their staff, it does make me nervous for them. 
And it's also disheartening to go into these newsrooms and have reporters ask me how to use their cameras because they have to take pictures on every story and it's a chore for them. And I completely understand they weren't trained. And I don't think that you can ask a reporting staff to do something that's out of their field of expertise that they don't necessarily have any training on. Because photojournalism if you're going to follow it correctly, it has ethical guidelines. It has a very particular skill set. And so, you know, I've had to learn how to be a decent reporter. I would not say I'm a great reporter by any standpoint, but I had to be trained on that. And I would not expect any of my reporting colleagues to immediately be able to be a great photojournalist as well. So I very much hope that we can find a way forward for local news to either train the reporters who are there to be great visual journalists or bring great visual journalists back into those newsrooms. Where have all the, these visual journalists gone? We, we uh, gather together on Instagram and be- bemoan our fates. No, we, I think the pretty significant trend is that we've all gone freelance. We mostly rely on commercial work to pay our bills And we do editorial because we love it, but it is not the thing that that basically that we pay our rent with. So that creates a whole series of issues about ethics around what commercial work are you doing and and does it have any impact on the editorial work that you do? I think those are distinctions that are really important to make. And I think that it also creates issues because a lot of national newspapers, a very significant portion of the coverage that they use are from freelance photojournalists across the country because they just don't have the staff, the photo staff to cover the majority of the news that they produce. And I don't know that they're always taking the same approaches towards hiring freelance photojournalists as they are in hiring freelance reporters, meaning making sure they understand how the photojournalist is approaching the work, if the photojournalist even understands photojournalism ethics, and even on an international level, whether or not they are protecting the photojournalist sufficiently, meaning you can't just send a photographer to Ukraine and, you know, hire them as a freelancer and then not take proper precautions to keep tabs on them and make sure what they need to be safe from a security standpoint. So there are a lot of breakaway issues from the uh, around this that I think are important to examine that most newsrooms take a lot more precaution and thoughtfulness towards the freelance reporters that they're hiring. But I think it's not so much with the freelance photojournalists. So it, it is a, a concern and something that's been on the minds of a lot of photo editors and photojournalists in the industry. What do you plan to do with this project that you're working on about newsrooms? I hope to make it a book eventually. I hope to also develop a research project and have a historical documentation of this incredible time of transition in local journalism. 
I also hope, as we were discussing earlier, to find a way to, you know, help get visual journalists in back into local newsrooms or train local reporters on how to be decent visual journalists. So I have sort of a twofold part of it where I just love the photo documentation of these spaces and people like you guys. I I just enjoy it. I won't stop. I just love it so much. But I also think that there's a lot that could be done and needs to be done for local reporting and also for the general public to just understand why local journalism is so important to our democracy as a whole and informed communities can make decisions about their politicians and policies in ways that just matter so deeply. And so I hope that these images convey some of that to people who aren't in the news industry. And so any way that I can get these images out to people who, you know, aren't deep in journalism, then I think that's part of the battle to win. And what advice would you give somebody interested in starting a career in photojournalism? Oh boy, I think you'll find most professors and mentors will say, don't, um, <laughs> don't do it. Which frankly, if you get past all of the naysayers and you're still interested, then you've already passed the first test in becoming a photojournalist. I basically, I think you're going to have to make peace with potentially doing commercial work and make peace with the fact that there might not be a staff job out there for you because there are so few staff jobs. And one of the big things I would say is to learn how to collaborate with photo editors and reporters so that you're not just a, a one man or one woman band who just goes out and you know takes photos but doesn't get more involved in the story. It's a lot harder for freelancers to 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 collaborate with ed, with editors and reporters, but I think we have to push for that because the more we know about the story, the more we involved we are in the research and the creation of the story, the stronger the visual journalism is going to be on that story. It won't be some sort of cursory portrait that doesn't really tell what it needs to tell about the subject or the issue. We can we can convey the images that or the video that needs to be conveyed for that story when we collaborate deeply with reporters and editors. And when you're not inside the newsroom, that's a lot harder to do. So I would tell freelance photojournalists who are just getting started to learn how to collaborate and connect with those reporters and editors. Our last question for you, Anne, where should people go to see your work? Right now you can go on my website. It's anhermesphoto.com and I have a whole section dedicated to the newsroom. You can also follow along on Instagram at, at your local newsroom. And I've been uh, I'm going to start including some of the more interesting research and interviews and information that I've found to also make it not just a fun photography project on Instagram, but also a project that conveys some ideas about where local journalism is going to help hopefully inspire 
other local newsrooms, but also people to get people more involved in thinking about local journalism, whether they're in the industry or out of the industry. So yeah, I would love for people to follow along. And if if any of you guys out there have newsrooms that you think I should particularly photograph, then I am all ears and would always love to visit some of these places. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Anne. Thank you guys. I appreciate you letting me photograph your newsroom. It was such a delight. Oh, it was fun. The Granite Beat is a project of the Granite State News Collaborative in partnership with the Laconia Daily Sun. We record at the Lakeport Opera House, and our theme music is composed by Bob McCarthy. Thanks also to the Marlin Fitzwater Center at Franklin Pierce University for editing and other support. 